fried to a crackly crunch. No, I think that'd be you, my friend. Oh, man. How's that, uh, how's that sunburn? Oh, buddy. Yeah. It's a searer. I'm telling you, no fun, no fun at all. Well, folks, I gotta say our knob-twiddling associate over there, Milt Cade, everybody, is uh, suffering from what appears to be nine-degree burns. From from what? A summer gathering of sorts, or what? Yeah, a buddy of mine invited me to the Waterfront Blues Festival this past weekend out on his boat. Oh. You know, and I thought... Well, you know, beautiful weather for it this year. You know, partly cloudy. It was... Yeah, right? Partly cloudy. So I'm out there on the deck of this boat, you know, slathering on the sunblock, something like SPF 200. <laughs> and that crap should keep a supernova from burning you, but for some damn reason, it didn't work. Man, it's like I'm sitting under a broiler in here. Well, based him. He's done. So sorry uh, to hear that. But you know what they say, that uh, overcasts, actually, right? They can, they can burn you even worse. Yeah, I know. That's why I was using this high-test sunblock, but hell, it must have been flat or something. Hmm. Well, my sympathies, my friend. I, I know it's, uh, it's rough to deal with that, really. Ugh, we've all been there. I appreciate you uh, coming in because I... Wait a minute. What's going on? There's someone up there. here. Oh! Hi, it's Eco. Hello, Eco. What's that? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's a great suggestion. Eco said try some uh, aloe gel. Aloe? Isn't it that uh, cactus-looking thing with the spines all over it? Or... Yeah, but it's the uh, gel part of that that's good for... Uh... <laughs> right, right. You don't rub the plant on you, at least not the outside of it. You use the, uh, the unguent extract inside. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure you can get that stuff pre-extracted for your convenience, right? exactly sure I'm going to apply that, as the very touch of anything near my skin will definitely solicit a reaction. Huh, yeah, well, there, there is that. But, but you know what? You know what? Maybe we, uh, we fill a kiddie pool with the stuff and have you just, you know, soak in it. Huh. I know that, that, that just might work. Another skin disaster averted here on the Fusebox Show. Thank you, dear friends, for joining us on this episode, number 45, in our continuing series of Treating Milt's Rash. And I'm your somewhat silica-based host, Mark Rose, and um, we have a real uh, scorcher of a show lined up. Thanks. No problem. Including part two of our interview with writer, activist, and stripper L. Stanger, which, by the way, has gotten some uh, really pretty good uh, feedback. And, and, uh, and I'm here to say, uh, you ain't heard nothing yet. And that's coming up in a bit. Also, a new Timo's world has just been hatched and is swimming its way to your ears in this edition of the show. Our uh, buddy Timo has a hankering for folded fish. So he goes to a sushi bar and... 
Well... Hey, uh, isn't there a video fixing segment, too? I mean, uh, it's on the 360 here, and I... Uh... <laughs> well, yes, there is indeed. Uh, you're getting ahead of me. <laughs> just saying. Well, I mean, I just saw it there. <laughs> there is indeed a new video vixen segment in store as well. The lovely and talented Ms. Vixen will be uh, entertaining you with a review of Full Metal Jacket in her inimitable style. Oh, man, I love that one. Then, sir, you shall be very well rewarded with her commentary. And also, I want to make mention of uh, another very big... Big, big event. Is uh, Trista coming in? <laughs> You'd like that, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, you'll just have to wait. As uh, we will be doing an all-stops-out, big-time wondrous, alert the fleeping media, show number 50 coming up on September 20th. Really? Sarah? Frank Zappa Festival in town or something? No, my scabby-skinned friend. We have a showstopper planned for the 50th program that will be a royal treat, and I'll be uh, talking more about that as uh, time gets a little closer to that September 20th date. That's right. 9-20-16 is a save-that-date kind of thing, kind of a date. Cool. Right. So... With that, why don't we uh, take a brief break and uh, reset, and we'll be right back. The video vixen. <laughs> Sorry, man. Finger slipped. Really, I'm I'm a little <laughs> twitchy in here today. Yeah. A little starstroke. Vixen vexed. All righty, as I mentioned, we're going to continue our interview with L. Stanger. And in this next segment, we discuss L.'s involvement in getting uh, Oregon House Bill 359 passed in the uh, Oregon House of Representatives as well as a few other salient insights. So, uh, check it out. On this... The Video Vixen. Sorry. The Fusebox Interview. Well, you've done uh, more than talk about a lot of this. Uh, you've been extremely active in getting legislation passed, HB uh, 359, I guess it was. Yeah, 359. Yeah. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that because – now, was that just for the state? That is. That was for the state. Yeah, yeah it was a House bill, yeah. Um, so House Bill 359, that came to be – it was a year and a half ago when I was contacted – by a woman who works for an advocacy group for women and sex workers, particularly. I mean, most sex workers are women. So she contacted me because she said, hey, there is some talk of these lobbyists who are looking to see if your industry has any needs. So I met with them. They had heard murmurings about there was, at the time, that was right before a lawsuit 
broke public that was by two women against the owner of uh, Club Casa Diablo. And there had been in the news a couple instances in one family of clubs, uh, which is a chain, Stars, that their manager, at least one, maybe three of the management slash employees had been involved in trafficking a 14-year-old. Mm. So I don't know what their part was in that. Uh, either they knew she was underage and they were allowing her to work in the club, or it might have extended further to where she was being trafficked as far as sex outside of the club. That is absolutely horrific, obviously, but the bigger problem, and I say bigger because it affects more people around the entire world, is the fact that people love to see shit like that because it reinforces their notions that these that these industries are entirely predatory. Mm-hmm. So reading comment threads about that was like, oh, shut all of these clubs down. You know, all of these owners are rapists. All of these women are victims. And that is problematic because, again, when you're not allowing the workers to speak for themselves, you're already doing them a disservice and continuing to oppress them. So because of these instances that had, that had become known in the media and just, you know, out in the world, um, there were some lobbyists from a group called PacWest. They're a division of the National Association for Social Work, NASW. So they got a hold of me or I got a hold of them. We called a meeting. It took a little bit of recruiting. We had about 30 or 40 strippers show up. And we sat in a room and they asked us, is there anything that that needs to change in your industry? If not, we'll fuck off. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If so, go ahead and tell us. And, And there were so many concerns. And some of them were pretty arbitrary like oh i don't like my bouncer he's a dick and it's like well that's a management issue like i can't legislate anything for you um (laughs) although we do wish we could sometimes uh, sometimes um what was pretty much the most common issue was if there are any workplace offenses there's no way to really mitigate those because everyone's afraid to make a report or there's nobody even talk to about it. If my boss is, you know, sexually harassing me or pushing, say, Molly or Blow on me, which has never happened. Nobody pushes drugs on me because they can tell I don't I don't do coke. I've never done coke in my life, actually. So mm-hmm. nobody even tries to. <laughs> uh, they're like, oh, no, not that one. Mm-hmm. But so if I'm being harassed and. As a sex worker, as an adult entertainer, I have this very, very rational fear of law enforcement um, anyway, because it does happen a lot of times where, you know, oh, a sex worker or an adult entertainer is raped and people are like, well, of course she was. That's just what happens. Right. It's all part of the game. It's all part of the game as if we ignore the fact that, you know, one in three or one in four women before the age of 25 will be sexually assaulted regardless of where Mm -hmm. she works. So the problem was we didn't have a lot of resources or any resources where to go if anything bad was happening in these places. Mm. So we devised a advocacy hotline, which would be, um, you know, anonymous reporting. And then the hotline worker would have all of these resources like, oh, you need help filing taxes because you're a 19 year old stripper and you can't get help from your parents here's where we send you or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just, it's for concerns where these, these adult live entertainers don't have maybe any other resource. 
since it is unconstitutional to legislate specifically for one type of, of uh, I mean, you can't legislate sexual expression. So the bill was effective to all live entertainers in the state of Oregon. So we're talking comedians, musicians, and we talked to plenty and we got, we had a couple, um, there's a local comedian, uh, Ray McMillan. Uh, he actually does my website for me, but I knew him for a few years outside of the industry. Uh, he was one of our advocates. He went to Salem with me. Hmm. Um, he's worked in the industry on and off as a, a booker, a promoter, but as a comedian, He's like, yes, I should be able to go perform at a venue and not feel pressured to sell X amount of tickets. You know, like how do we oh, how do we mitigate these concerns for all types of live entertainers or, oh, the dressing room, you plug something into it and it shorts out the entire building, which I've had happen. Mm -hmm. There was some discussion about how do we regulate or check on the structural integrity of some of these venues um, in which OSHA never gives a shit because OSHA only concerns places where people are employees or where employees exist. Right. Since strippers or comedians or musicians are not employees, they're independent contractors, OSHA doesn't give a shit about my stage or my dressing room unless an hourly employee also inhabits it at any one time. Mm -hmm. So you have issues where some of these venues in town, I mean, Acropolis, the building, I don't know how old it is, but it's been Acropolis for, I think, 20 years, but the building's much older. When it rains it drips rain on the stage. So that's not safe for the workers. It's probably not safe for anybody who's in there. And yet, who's going to enforce them to fix it? So there's really no IATSE or anything like that governing no. any of this? No, it's not. No stagehands, union, no. nothing. We, okay. had, um, we had a rep from OSHA speak uh, when the bill was being presented, and he said, on average because they only work on a report basis, uh, live entertainment venues in Oregon are only being inspected once every 40 years. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> every 40 years. 40 years. Yes. So again, you know, if you're a stripper or if you're a cook in a strip club or if you're a comedian in a comedy club, it's very uncomfortable to approach maybe the manager or the booking agent and be like, hey, there's nails sticking out by this mirror because it kind of tends to be like, oh, yeah, if you don't like it, don't work here. Mm -hmm. So we perpetuate these unsafe working, uh, working conditions. That was not dealt with uh, by the bill. That was too broad. Mm. We couldn't come to a solution. That, so that was two things that we had initially proposed uh, but the structural integrity one, we just let go because it was too big of a fight. Uh, so the hotline was established per HB 3059. This is the, the part where I'm a little unhappy. Um, the flyers that were printed per the bill, the mandatory posters that would be set in every common place, so dressing room or shared space, um, which would post the, the hotline number, it, it kind of looks like an ad for Brad Avakian of uh, Bureau of Labor and Industries because it's a picture of him and then it outlines on each side uh, the pros or cons of being an employee and the pros or cons of being an independent contractor. And then at the very bottom, there's a tiny little phone number. <laughs> so the, uh, the, the pros, the independent contractor versus the employer thing, that was relevant to the people who had sued Casa Diablo for back wages. 
Um, it wasn't really, uh. I don't think it should have been a part of just the hotline number. Um, because also another big argument that drives me fucking nuts is a lot of these women also don't understand how the business models operate in these venues that for maybe 10, 20, 30 years, they have never paid their workers. So if you, and Boley was trying to do this, Bureau of Labor and Industries, because they're you know pro-union, pro-worker, which is great, but when you say to maybe every live entertainment venue in Oregon, hey, instead of these workers working for tips, you now have to pay them an hourly wage. Find the money. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but I don't want my entertainers to be paid an hourly wage. I want them to be self-motivated. Because if Louis C.K. was paid an hourly wage, I don't know that he would be so successful. <laughs> That's um, true. You know, it's I true. mean, I show up, <laughs> mm -hmm. I smile, I talk to people, I engage. I make more money that way. You know, if I leave with $900, it's money that people handed to me because they liked me. Mm -hmm. No venue can afford to pay me that much. Right. So these women who are struggling to make ends meet um, because, you know, they're not getting good shifts or they're dealing with personal issues that makes them less successful um, or they're working in clubs where, you know, maybe you're just not going to get tipped that much. Or there's no foot traffic. But when they can't make a minimum wage and yet they're still determined to work in this industry, I've heard, you know, I had a woman look me in the face and she said, well, I should be able to make as much money as you. And I said, well, that's great. Go ahead and build a website. You know, print business cards, like put yourself out there. But to show up, walk around in your underwear and expect people to give you money, that's not how this world works. Mm -hmm. I don't want a pissed off barista. I don't want an entitled stripper. Right. So that was the stuff, you know, and I actually haven't vented about this publicly um, at all. But it it very much, it was very frustrating to watch some of these workers be like, well, I want to be paid an hourly wage and tips. And I said, well, you're going to effectively shut down hundreds of venues yeah. around the state that Not cannot afford. They're it. already struggling. They can't afford right. to fix the roof. Well, which, which <laughs> you know, goes to another point that many of the people who are listening to this are in other parts of the world, but uh, Portland has a very unique reputation of having more strip clubs per, per square capita. inch here than probably anywhere. Yeah. And Jeff and I were just talking earlier, and it's even more than Las Vegas, which yeah. is, you know, considered the Sin City and all that. Yeah. San Diego so, County, where I'm from, has about three and a half million uh, people. Uh, they have about seven strip clubs. Oregon, state of Oregon, has about three and a half million people. They have about a hundred strip clubs. <laughs> so you know we're we're a little saturated. Uh, it makes it competitive. Extremely, extremely. A lot of the venues are better for it. They're more artistic. Mm -hmm. They have to have something. You know, I work with women that are contortionists and and uh, fire fire dancers. And I I stick a straw through my nose and I light my pubes on fire sometimes. And you know, like every <laughs> I need I need my thing. Right. Um, Love it. So, so it's it's been very frustrating, um, just trying to explain all of these things to hundreds of people in this industry. And a lot of women get it. And a lot of women that are very professional and self sustaining, they they don't want an hourly wage because they understand that it means they would make less. Because what would happen, and what has happened, is it would be like what happened with the lusty lady in San Francisco, where they were given a wage, but the venue started taking bigger cuts from their dances. Oh. So if I'm getting paid whatever minimum wage is now, what is it, 1050 something? I think so, like 1050 an hour before taxes. Say I sell 
$200 in lap dances and the club says, well, we take 25% or 75%. I just lost money. Mm -hmm. Again, if you're struggling to make minimum wage as a stripper, perhaps you should not be a stripper <laughs> because yeah. after everything we deal with, mm -hmm. with booking agents and stigma and physical injury, I mean, Jesus Christ, and be a dog the, groomer. Yes, you probably will get farther ahead. So a uh, thought-provoking case made there for wages and entertainment, huh? Yeah, buddy. Never really thought of it like that before. You know, I bet old Louis C.K. would probably agree. Can you imagine any entertainer working for minimum wage? The mind boggles. Now, you know, the networks, though, might be uh, happy as razor clams, but uh, I don't think that would work out well in the long run. We've locked Senator Bob Fusky inside this deep-sea diving bell filled with angry razor clams, but it's to prove a point. No, no, stop it. Oh, no, Oh, no, yes, stop it. Stop it. Ah. Oh, oh, stop it. Oh, And now... What? <laughs> Where are you going, man? I thought you'd just psychically pick it up. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's time... Once again, for scintillating commentary from Trista Perez, a.k.a. The Video Vixen, as she gives us a rundown on what appears to be one of Milt's faves... Full Metal Jacket. Hell, I like you. You can come over to my house and fuck my sister. The video, Vixen. <laughs> Full Metal Jacket. 1987, director Stanley Kubrick, stars Arlie Ermey, Arlie Ermey, and more Arlie Ermey. Stanley Kubrick is my favorite director. The man is an absolute genius. This movie is one of many masterpieces Kubrick created during his esteemed career, an iconic piece of cinema history with legions of cult fans. A searing depiction of the Vietnam War, the film, is divided into three distinct segments. Each sequence is perfect unto itself and creates a compelling whole as we follow our narrator, Private Joker, through the war. Segment one covers Marine Corps basic training. This is where we meet Sergeant Hartman, who leads by violence and spewing the most brilliant profanities and insults committed to film. Witnessing the Sarge's blistering verbal attacks against Vincent D'Onofrio's private pile is pretty painful to endure. This shit felt real. The fact that R. Lee Ermey didn't get an Academy Award nomination for his role is a travesty. Segment two shows us Joker's experiences after he's been assigned to basic military journalism, writing for the Stars and Bars newspaper. It all begins with a scene made infamous by the notorious Two Live Crew, who sampled lines spoken by a Vietnamese prostitute for their aptly named Me So Horny, which caused a shitstorm in the music industry. Remember Tipper Gore? Me neither. The final segment of Full Metal Jacket is a smoke-filled nightmare of gunfire and carnage, where Joker learns the hardest lessons of war. 
the tension, sudden death, and sheer madness are relentless. Many believe this to be the finest war film ever made, and I rank it among my personal top five, along with Hamburger Hill, Platoon, Glory, and All Quiet on the Western Front. A realistic blend of gallows humor and hell, Full Metal Jacket is simply one of the best films ever crafted. I'm the Video Vixen, and I'll be watching. Love that film, man. Some serious in-your-face stuff in that one. I must confess, you know, it's one of the few Kubrick films that I haven't seen. Really? Yeah, yeah, that uh, particular genre film is not one I uh, visit too often. Well, uh, unless there's a 700-foot lizard or diamond-eating space amoeba involved. Yeah, she's so right about Ermy, too. Man, that was one scary cat. Oh, and she was spot on about that lighting and color correction and the whole depth of... Uh, wait, 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 wait. She didn't mention any of that. But, but I do think her observations... What's the matter with you? What? <laughs> I, I, I just think she has really keen insight, man. That's uh, for, I, 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 honestly, I think she's her observations are spot on from what I've uh, what I have seen of this film, for sure. And uh, she will be back in a couple of shows from now with a review of one of my personal favorites of all time, Patty Chayefsky's Network. So be here for that. Or thank you. And speaking of extraordinary Japanese cuisine, the video big. <laughs> I'm going to have to move that cue. You think? Or is this a Freudian cue slip? Huh? <laughs> In any event, our uh, big bell ringing friend Timo is just drooling for some sushi. Sounds like his stomach is a little active there too. So let's let's follow him along. Shall we? It's Timo's world. What's better than sushi? More sushi! to happy respectful rooster of joy sushi. Please to sit at your counter, yes? This way, please, yes. The great Masato will prepare your meal this evening, sir. It's a very great honor to allow Itome Masato to order your meal. Please to sit. You enjoy, yes, very much. Oh, 
No, man, seriously, I, I, I try steeping in this stuff. I mean, you know, I'm sure Eco and Milo would help you set it up. Right after we wrap, man, I feel like I'm going to peel off an entire skin suit once this stuff heals. Man. And on that mouth-watering note, <clears throat> we'll call it a show. 
Gujira sighs thanks to our more than legally generous contributors to this one, Sabra May, Trista Perez, Jeff Pollard, and L. Stanger. And as always, to the poached purveyor of potentiometers, Milt Keynes over there, suffering. So, uh, remember when, uh, as a kid, you'd ignite insects with a magnifying glass? Paybacks are a bitch. Yeah, yeah, they are for sure. And let's hope the insects aren't 14 stories tall in the next timeline, you know what I mean? And speaking of paybacks, please, friends, take a stroll through the Fusebox store located conveniently at thefuseboxshow.com and just click the little shopping link there and you'll be transported painlessly to our domain where all things Fusebox live and peacefully coexist with other less interesting items that can be found on this here web-like thing. Each and every item purchased in there helps feed a starving show. So uh, we thank you in advance for your patronage there. Thank you as well for pushing play on this one, friends. And, as always, until our next cartoon. Really, honestly, I think a good soak would help you out. You think they'd help me out? Go ask them. They'll be fine with it.